Welcome to the I'm Just Saying podcast, hosted by Anthony Tilgman, featuring the latest trends and all the coolest vibes. Tell your friends to tune in because they'll love it too. What's up, everybody? This is Anthony Tillman, and welcome to the I'm Just Saying podcast. And of course, you will love it too. Today is a very special day. We have 23 days left to the election 2020. And of course, you know, the deadline for voting in Maryland is on October the 13th. So, so much going on this week. We had to kind of talk to people about what are they doing for the election and what's going on. And of course, we had to get, you know, a political strategist on the team. So i like to introduce my first guest for today, Mr. Richard Elliott. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me and thank you for everybody listening. Uh, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Richard Elliott. I'm a candidate for delegate in the 24th District of Maryland, located in central Prince George's County. Uh, I am a graduate of UMBC. I hold a BA in American Studies along with minors in political science and history. And I recently applied for graduation at Johns Hopkins University in the political science uh, graduate program. Uh, yes. I my experiences in politics include working for over a dozen campaigns in various capacities, including as the campaign manager for State Senator Jill P. Carter when she ran for Congress, uh, for working with the Dewan Gay for Annapolis campaign that won a, a special election with more votes than the Democrat or the Republican running as a write-in, and many other experiences. I've written several bills, including one that was introduced in the House of Delegates, and I have plenty of model legislation ready to roll right now today. So I welcome any and all questions. I welcome any and all feedback. Let's get to the interview if you're ready, Anthony. All right. So that was like the formal introduction that we all wanted, man. This man really kind of went in, you know, all that experience was amazing. Um, so what, what? why do you call yourself a, a democratic socialist? Sure. So... For many of the people who have inspired my calls to public service, my idea of public policy, my vision of our future, be it Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Bernie Sanders, so many others, Rosa Parks, who held democratic socialist ideals in their life. For, uh, I think, the situation that we have in Maryland, uh, we are a deep blue state that is nearing a third black in population and has two large black power centers, I think that we are one of the few states in the country that can get to the, redistributive, the redistribution policies, the social, uh, the social welfare and social uh, services uh, policies, and the general goal of governance of improving quality of life and making things better for the people who are the least best off. I don't think that this is a radical or fringe ideology. I think that many, many other people whether they apply it to their voting or to their everyday life in the black community, that is how I would describe them. Okay. Uh, what, do, what do you think you can bring to the table differently that that's going on right now? Okay. So to start, I already have very good relationships with many elected officials at various levels, whether it be Comptroller Peter Francho, who I did a small business recovery town hall with and discussed the ideas of universal Wi-Fi and creating land trusts as ways to help protect businesses as well as homeowners uh, with various county council people 
in different counties around the state, including Baltimore, including Anne Arundel, including uh, in Howard. Uh, I already have over 150 various endorsements from different former candidates, advocates, uh, Bernie Sanders delegates, many others. So to start, I already have working relationships with many other people we would need to amass power on behalf of Prince George's County. For two, I already have an extensive history of writing legislation. I recently wrote an op-ed on COVID relief for the state of Maryland. I wrote this uh, early during quarantine. I think it came out in the beginning of April in Maryland Matters, where I called for them to increase the wages for essential workers, to require that essential workers have PPE, to start triaging the hospitals so that, or excuse me, to start adjusting the hospitals so that people aren't at risk of getting COVID if they're going there, for instance, to give birth or because they are otherwise ill, and many, many other pieces of policy. I wrote another one on criminal justice reform that I intended uh, as a as a to-do guide, basically, for the state, uh, what is it, the police reform task force, or I forget the proper name, excuse me, but for them to, for instance, ban the quota system uh, wholly, to work towards the goals of defunding the police, because in Prince George's County, our police department and our sheriff's department, and those two, their budget is larger than the military budget of the state of Ethiopia. That makes absolutely no sense. When we have so many people here who would be better served by having land trusts, who'd be better served by having small business relief efforts, by having better schools, by having better roads, by having better transit. So that's the policy aspects. And then finally, I've shown by my consistent dedication to so many other candidates, to so many other issues, that whenever I see somebody in need politically who I think is of the right kind, people who are progressive and aren't owned, I always put my foot forward to help them, even if I stand nothing to gain from it. And that consistency in politics is almost non-existent. If people check my record and look back or ask people who've known me for years, they can, they can verify that. So the, 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 the relationships combined with the policy experience combined with the consistency, and that's not even including my knowledge of how to run a campaign. I've run congressional campaign uh, during a special primary where we had two months to set up the campaign and we were able to get over 10,000 votes. I have two years to amass about 7,000 votes for myself. I believe that's fully doable. And myself, in conjunction with many others in Prince George's, we stand a real opportunity to flip the machine on its head for good. Oh, wow. Okay. So speaking of the machine, um, what do you think um, about what's happening in um, the 2020 primaries? I mean, well, the 2020 election right now in Prince George's County with the sample ballots. Uh, I do not. Well, I'll, I'll, go, I'll give some history for anybody listening. So there is an astounding book called Black Power in the Suburbs. I wish I could show you on screen, but somebody has my copy. But it, it talks about the history of the Prince George's County Democratic Party and the incorporation of black folks into the political process. In 1974, Tommy Broadwater, the Broadwater who currently, he has the mansion in Upper Marlboro. He owns uh, the only strip joint in the entire county, that Tommy Broadwater was elected to the state Senate. And he was elected to the state Senate over a sitting delegate by the name of Arthur King, who was a sitting member of the NAACP, was widely known. I believe his mother like might've even founded the Prince George's NAACP. 
And how did Tommy Broadwater, who is only a Central Committee member, beat a sitting delegate? The sample ballots. In 1974, the official Democratic Party sample ballot, as we know it today, was officially invented. And it has been used basically every election since. And there have been so many Prince Georgians who I'm not going to insult them, but they've been programmed by seeing it every single election, seeing it in both the off term and the regular term elections, like for president, they're doing them currently. It is so ingrained them people to them. And in a county where people don't have the material wealth to donate to campaigns, and there's not really that much competition, those sample ballots have been the only real political information for a lot of people for a half century almost. Absolutely. I I do not support that they say official Democratic Party sample ballot. I think that that is misleading. I think that that makes it seem as though some people are endorsed by the Democratic Party, which is not the case in Maryland. Now, for all transparency, I would like to pass out sample ballots, but I would have them be something like Richard Elliott's endorsed candidates or Richard Elliott's slate or Team 24. But fully the official democratic party pardon it i think should be illegal because it, it it tricks the voters absolutely you're absolutely right and i think that's pretty much what's been going on for a long time and mm-hmm. you 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 clarified that um accurately um i mean thank you for sharing the information about the history because not many people know about what's been going on with those sample ballots so we we were 23 days from the election um, and, and you're you're clearly running in 2022. Yes. So what, what are your recommendations for people that really don't know who to vote for at this point and, and really look at those sample ballots and say, uh, OK, I, I know her, but I really don't, you know, know him. And, and you know, what are you what are you telling those people? Well, if, if for the people who've asked and a few people in Prince George's did ask me who to vote in the primary in the in the primary uh, for judges for school board, I think that the bare minimum and this is an assumption of candidates is that candidates should be going out and meeting people and talking to people when we're in a almost all virtual election. It should be as easy as ever to identify people who are interested and it is incumbent on the candidates to reach out and talk to people. So I'd say to start, if you haven't met somebody, I probably wouldn't vote for them. If you have not, if you haven't met them or somebody you know hasn't met them and told you about it, I probably wouldn't vote for them. But so I mean to give my list of endorsements, I'm gonna I'm gonna be voting for April Adam Aloyi and for Gladys Weatherspoon only for judge. I'm gonna be vote oh, she's not in my district, but I encourage people to vote for Shayla Adams Stafford. For Board of Education, I in, in fact, in my announcement, I endorsed her. Uh, I encourage people to vote for Ed Burroughs and Rahila Ahmed uh, in their respective uh, school board races. And in the what is it, District Seven? Yeah, District Seven race between Kenneth Harris and and uh, Alexis Branch. I make no endorsement. My only comment is to me, Alexis Branch has been more visible and accessible. That is simply to me. I offer no endorsement in that race. However, I encourage people to ask both candidates their opinions. Okay, well said. Um, so moving forward, what is what are you? What is your primary um, goal for your office? Like, what are you? What are you looking to achieve as far as your your running? Okay, so I have a, I have a, 
I put 10 different pieces of legislation that I would want to be to to uh, to introduce in Annapolis during my tenure. But I'd say the primary one is that I am a big supporter of transit. I still ride the orange line. I still ride the mark. I still ride the B24. And it allows me to travel the state with great convenience at relatively low cost. I seek to connect our entire state by rail. I think that if you could wake up in the morning in Frederick or in Waldorf, and in two and a half hours, you could be in Cambridge or you could be in Ocean City, it would bring a lot of people to move into the state. It would allow people in our state to have the maximum amount of business opportunities to work or to open stuff. And it would significantly reduce both our traffic and our carbon output. So I want to be on the House Environment and Transportation Committee. Environment and transportation are the two things I plan to focus on the most. And for our communities, which are often the victims of environmental racism in terms of where pollution, where pollution dumps are located, in inaccessibility of trash services, in cost of trash services, in the amount of time it takes for bulk trash like mattresses to be picked up and all that kind of stuff. That is what I find to be some of the most important issues because climate change will hurt our community first and foremost. We need to do everything to protect our communities from that now so that when climate change starts to worsen, we are in a position to protect ourselves from the worst impacts. Okay, so what do you think we're doing right now in Maryland to kind of, you know, get prepared for climate change? Do you think we are on a, on a good, great path or do you think we need to do more? Not not particularly. Um, in fact, I was told when the new speaker, Adrian Jones, was uh, elevated to her position that even in her office's opinion, the state focuses on conservation and not environmentalism. Excuse me. And I'll take, I'll, I'll try to explain that as conservation is simply protecting the existing forestation, protecting the parks. It is, I would say, at best, a defensive against climate change. That's at best. I want to go on the offensive. My One of my goals is to get Maryland to 100% renewable energy sources. If we can have 100% renewable energy sources, whether it be solar, whether it be wind, uh, hydroelectric, uh, uh, whatever, if we can have that, that will put us in such a strong position competitively with every other state. It'll make our state very nice to move into or to start a business in. And this is something I discussed with somebody earlier this week. If we can have that uh, on, for instance, public housing or on government institutions, we can have it so that people who are stuck in public housing and legitimately a lot of them may not be able to get employment to be able to buy their way out of it. That's unfortunately the way our economy is structured. Those solar panels, when they produce enough electricity, you can sell that energy back to the state. And we can sell it to Pennsylvania. We can sell it to Delaware. We can sell it to West Virginia. And we can generate money to fund updates and renovations in, a for, in public housing, to provide people in public housing a stipend. Wow. Yes, that that is some really great information. So, what what are your what are your thoughts on the um, the Prince School pipeline? Uh, so, uh, I attended Prince George's County Schools from kindergarten through twelfth. I went to Woodmore Elementary, Thomas Johnson Middle, and Duval High School. And in that time, I had to start wearing a dress code in third grade. 
I think that that was just unfair. I think that system, even within Prince George's County, is targeted in a racist manner. So when you automatically are telling kids you can't wear this, you can wear this, I think that's where it starts. And I think, and I'm going to work with the school board to uh, to get rid of the policy of uh, dress codes as soon as possible because I think that at best they prop up an industry that is. Uh, that I think is more or less a part of the of the incarceration money machine. And it takes money away from poor parents having to buy clothes their children will never wear outside of schools. But more so is the issue of SROs. I do not support having armed police officers in our schools making children feel a lot of people, particularly people who are coming from maybe a family where somebody's incarcerated or a family where a friend is incarcerated, making them feel that trauma every day. So I absolutely do not support SROs in school. I think that all of the money that we spend in our schools, that, that we spend on that would be much better served on having social workers, on having psychiatrists, on adding more guidance counselors, on adding more janitors, on adding hall aides, paraeducators. And I have the experience also of having been a paraeducator and been a tutor for several years and took uh, three years worth of training in education at UMBC. So I know quite a bit about education from the practical perspective. My grandmother was a teacher for 50 years, and I, and I learned how to learn from her. So that is another area that I plan on being intimately involved in in Annapolis to make it better for Black children in Prince George's County and beyond. Okay, well said. Um, so I, I guess we pretty much cover a lot today. Um, so in, in closing, my final question to you is... What's next for you? And, and where can we find more information about your platform? So if anybody wants to contact me, my phone number is 301-655-2133. I'll say it again, 301-655-2133. My email is my full name, Elliott at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Rich for Maryland. And if you check my LinkedIn, there's a lot of legislation there as well. Uh, for now, my move is running District 24, which may be for House of Delegates or for Senate, depending on redistricting and several other factors. And my political goal, my true political goal, is to be one day the comptroller of the state of Maryland. But that is long to come and requires much achievement before then. That is not a primary focus. My focus right now is on the best transit, the best health care the best education and the best jobs that we can do in this state. So thank you for having me on. And I really, really appreciate this. Thank you, man. We appreciate you for being on the show today. That's it, everybody. You know, thank you so much for being on the show. Tune in next time where we will have another amazing guest on the podcast. Have a great day, everybody. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the I'm Just Saying podcast. Tune in next week. Don't forget to tell a friend. And don't forget the hashtag I'm Just Saying.